Ask Sherwin-Williams during the March Spring Sale, March 15th through the 25th, and get 35% off paints and stains with prices starting at $28.92. That means 35% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And, of course, get 35% off all of our other colors. Stop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. Why pick one city, one beach, one restaurant, or even one view? With Celebrity Cruises, you can have it all. Explore the best of Europe, the Caribbean, and Alaska with the best premium cruise line. And now get 75% off your second guest, plus bonus savings on select dates with Celebrity Cruises' semi-annual sale. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Offer applies to non-refundable fares and select sailing. Savings vary by stateroom category. Other terms apply. Visit Celebrity.com for details. Ships Registry Malta. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox. Welcome to With Friends Like These. I'm really excited for this week's pod. Uh, my guest is Rembert Brown, who you may know uh, from the dearly departed, much lamented Grantland. He was also a writer at New York Magazine. And he has a piece out this week in Bleacher Report that is a profile of Colin Kaepernick that is also one of the best essays about America and race that's come out in a while. And I am including Tanasi Coates' piece in The Atlantic last week. If you're a longtime listener to the show, you know some of the themes that we talk about, primarily uh, uncomfortable conversations and having conversations with people across differences. And that's what Rembert's essay is about. It's also about imperfection and progress and being willing to start making changes without knowing what the exact outcome is going to be, which is something that I struggle with all the time. I struggle with as I am doing this intro right now. It's one of my favorite interviews that we've done so far. I hope you like it as much as I did. And the internet does not know a lamb who's difficult to kill. So few things are riskier than stepping out before you're fully polished. That catch-all woke, meaning everything and nothing, is overused now, not as a sticker for the well-informed and intentioned, but as a stamp of disapproval for those who have messed up and therefore aren't. To be a work in progress is nearly unacceptable because the currency that drives our culture is not self-improvement, but instead the ongoing erosive process of each person on each side designating who is wrong and who is right. You've got to give people space to develop thought, mature, and change course, the political commentator Angela Rye tells me about Colin, about all of us. She, like many, was a vocal supporter of Colin, but had a moment of skepticism after he proudly spoke about not voting. The days and weeks and months, the year, after the election were an easy time to point fingers considering the outcome. But after the anger, Rice says, comes the process of remembering the people who truly cause change in this country. All of our advocates and protesters and agitators don't come from perfection. The clear, overt racism is a beast in itself to fight without the faux liberalism further complicating the matter. But the race to unity is and has always been a trap. The inconvenience that is Colin Kaepernick brings this denial to the forefront a presumption that this country is anywhere near a hug. We've talked about shit, but we haven't talked through anything. 
for white Americans to accept that things are bad and then to just jump ahead to Kumbaya and I'm with Cap is a profoundly deep-seated defense mechanism for our hiding from what white America did and continues to do to the rest of us. The artist Kara Walker recently wrote, You must hate black people as much as you hate yourself. A subtitle for a new work, but it could be this country's permanent headline. The truth hurts white people. Colin Kaepernick has hurt white people, and that is why it's convenient to banish him, because he holds America's worst nightmare, the mirror. And while the genuine apologies from the most Black Lives Matter sign in front yard white person are endless, there's a real difference between guilt and understanding. Understanding that nothing will change unless you and people like you fix the mess that you unfairly inherited from which you so unfairly still benefit right now. Damn, did I write that? I know. That's fire. That is fire. It got to me, man. That's fire. I'm happy with that. I was in a I was in a mood. You should be happy for like with it. The past, I've like I six read or that. seven years. <laughs> you have been in a mood for the past seven years. Well, I want to. I don't even know where to begin. That piece is is amazing. Um, that excerpt. I appreciate it. I reread that excerpt several times, which is why I asked you to read it, and it got to me all over again hearing you talk. Um, I wanted to sort of address the elephant in the room right away, which is that um, I understand that you've held um, some long simmering resentment about not being an Obama speechwriter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's 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 funny. My my life is coming full circle a lot. Like uh, I I wanted to be a speechwriter. Uh, I I got very close to working for Obama in. Um, on his social team in what was that twenty for the twenty twelve election, but didn't get it. Um, and I was salty for years. But then I started to meet my my writing life, and people that worked in Obama started to we started to veer towards each other again. And there was some there was some grass is greener um, that um, continued for the duration of his presidency with some of his employees. Like I, I have one friend who uh, I met with him. I met him for the first time and I walked into his office uh, and it was huge. And he was the same age as me. And I was just so jealous. I was like, this could have been me. And I was just like fawning over his life. And then when it got to be his turn to talk to me, he was like, yo, man, I'm just so jealous. Like, all I want to do is tweet. (laughs) (laughs) so is is that is that is that no it's 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 none it's none of it's none of those guys i mean as much as they are tweeting right now it's like eight years of (laughs) tweets are coming out of those dudes uh all at once right now um i love them but uh yeah it's it's very funny like um how how my life is kind of coming full circle back to some of the people that uh that I once wanted to be or be like, um, mm-hmm. but I'm happy with this this route that I that I took, which is well, kind of coming be. at the world that I was very interested in from another angle. And I just wanted, if it, it would, I, you say you're kind of over it now, but I wanted to let you know that as it, perhaps this will just you know be like a nice ego boost, which is that the Bro Bamas on Pod Save are extremely resentful that I'm the one that gets to talk to you. So yes, I. When I when I found out that uh, they were interested, it made me want to do this podcast even more. 
So I'm. I, I feel like I'm in a I'm in a in a constant battle of trolling uh, us trolling each other. All right, so we'll, we'll I keep feel it like up. I'm happy. I mean, and I I get to benefit, but like, but let's let's actually go back to the piece. Um, America is a flat circle, right? Um, that's actually kind of one of the things in the piece too, right? Is a uh, circling back to certain certain injustices, certain um, tropes in American culture. And there's a more subtle-ish journey in the piece, too, which is yours. And I, I thought maybe my first thing I wanted to ask you about the piece itself was, what did writing and reporting this piece do for you? Like, you link in the piece to a tweet about Cap um, from years ago where you make fun of him a little bit. Uh, you, something like, um, I am always hoping he's, he's losing his girl, something like that. I'm always hoping Kaepernick is in the middle of losing his girl. I Gets think. his girl stolen. Yeah, yeah. getting his girl stolen. Which, yeah, right. Yeah, I, I I was thinking like maybe that <laughs> I was I was <clears throat> I had lots of thoughts about why I didn't get a Cap interview, and then I looked back at that tweet. I was like, well, maybe that's why. <laughs> <laughs> but so so you you've had you know obviously like not entirely positive feelings about the guy um, in his professional career. So what, what did this, what was this piece like for you just in the, in the process of writing and reporting it? Where, where, where did you go? It was very interesting because the piece, the piece was pitched to me very much like a, like a, a very classic access journalism profile, Mm -hmm. um, that happens places, which is like, Hey, we got this person. Um, do you want to do it? And so, I I said yes, and as time went on, it became clear that was not it wasn't going to be as easy as that, you know. And at first, that was frustrating um, because I, uh, after years and years of you know having to wrangle uh, my own subjects and do everything, it was very nice. I was like, oh, they just they got the person for me. Now all I, all I have to do is you know worry about writing the piece, and then. My job became uh, my own wrangler again, mm-hmm. and then my job became figuring out how to write this piece if I never got Kaepernick. And I, I think I came to terms with the fact that we weren't going to get him way before anyone else at Bleacher Report. Uh, so I started, and I didn't want it to be the type of piece where, like, it was written. It was written as if the Kaepernick um, interview was going to happen, and then we just had this massive hole, like waiting, like a TK TK, like like Kaepernick interview quote um, to like insert in the middle. So mm-hmm. I I started uh, realizing that this needed to be a completely different piece and a piece that was much more about this moment that we were in than uh, really about like a hundred percent about. Colin, uh, which I'm happy about because, you know, I I come from, uh, you know, having doing large stints of writing in the music industry, like like writing about uh, musicians and rappers and doing sports stuff. And, you know, once you once you become beholden to the subject, sometimes it's hard to really be as objective and honest as you'd like. And so when it became clear that we weren't going to get him, it was almost like, oh, okay, like I can actually write this thing now, uh, which I which I was happy about because, you know, it's just hard to look someone in the face 
and interview them after you've been, you know, granted the privilege of interviewing them and then go back and really, you know, decide be, how you want to write about them. It's not impossible. It's just it's just harder. Yeah. It, it's it's harder. Like I, I like people and I when I meet people and talk to them, I I'm you know, I'm I'm still a journalist in process and I'm still uh, I'm still navigating a world of um of no, learning how to report and learning how to do all this stuff. I'm not I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but it's when I didn't have to worry about, you know, doing right by the Kaepernick camp, I was it was like, okay, I can actually like uh, really think about how to do this piece right. So I was happy. Uh, I eventually was pretty happy that I didn't have to worry about that. Well, this piece is in what's known in the journalism world as a write around, um, which means you yeah. don't you don't get the subject. Uh, the most famous piece that maybe journalism wonks out there know is Frank Sinatra has a cold by Gay Talese, um, which is the example people point to is like the classic write around. I think this is probably going to live up there with that one, and in a way, it, nice. it's like that piece because what Gay Talese does with that piece is. You know, Frank Sinatra's absence from the piece is a commentary on where he is in our culture. And I think that's sort of there's a similar thing happening here because there's this beautiful symmetry to Kaepernick not making himself available to you, to the idea that it's not his job to offer himself up for interrogation. That's one of the, you know, messages of your piece, I feel like, is he has a job, he's doing it, and it's not to be a celebrity. It's not to, like, be at the beck and call of people who want to ask him questions about who he is. He's telling us who he is already. Yeah, and I I think, for me, I like writing things very presently, but also thinking about how it reads to the people who are going to click on this. And in doing that, I always have a tendency in pieces to throw myself under the bus a little bit as a way of furthering a point like I, I I it was very purposeful for me to talk about the the moments in this process and in my past that I critiqued the silence you know like I the the moments where I, I mean I was I was literally talking to people in his kind of inner outer circle and kind of being like yeah this dude is not talking to me like that's kind of whack you know like that was something that at first I didn't have in the story, but it's, it's, it's all a process of like, like, yes, it's, it's okay to have critiqued his silence, but the point is to, you know, you know, think about what you've been doing and get out of that critique. Like it's fine to have like a knee jerk reaction to the way someone is behaving or the decision that someone's doing. But at some point, like the hope is to take a step back and analyze what it is you're doing and why why you're thinking the way you're thinking why you're behaving the way you're thinking and then this piece like i i i wasn't just saying outwardly like you need to respect his all of you need to respect his silence i was saying that about myself too i had to learn to respect his silence also it was a huge shot to my ego that they were saying no to me and I was like, like to the point where I was like, like 
why I, I can't believe like I, I can't believe that they don't understand how this is going to benefit them by talking to me. Uh, like I, that, that's where my head was at. But by the end, I had a different I had a different perspective. And I think it's just a, such an amazing, again, kind of this beautiful sort of symmetry or unfolding that you can take that same relationship of don't you think don't you see how this is going to benefit you to talk to me and that is white america's attitude to black people right yeah like don't you see how we can help you you should be behaving in the way we want you to because don't you see and that we have to be the ones i'll speak for white america (laughs) like we have to ask yeah please (laughs) (laughs) you know um uh (laughs) black people are always expected to speak for black america right um exactly that we have to ask ourselves about our our place in that relationship and be okay with black people's refusing to do the things that we think are in their best interest. Right. Exactly. And I also think that there's another kind of symmetry in there too, which is about the imperfection and process. Uh, Cause I, you know, you, I think very rightly call out white liberals and use a lot of really um, wonderful quotes <laughs> from other black intellectuals calling out white liberals. Uh, that need to be said in this time. Like, even though we have a very important um, fight that we're all in right now, um, that's we, that doesn't mean we need to stop pushing on each other, you know? And yeah, yeah. I, I think that white people sometimes, or okay, I'm, I'll, I'll bring it just to me, to me, which is that when I'm confronted with the bloody heirloom uh, of white supremacy and the the damage it's done and the benefit that it's given me personally to see that bloody history can make me feel like, you know what? I don't even want to know. I'm just going to focus on putting the black lives matter sign in my front yard and I will be nice to my black friends (laughs) and I will talk (laughs) about how awesome Obama is. And because I can't be perfect because my race is already so indicted I don't want to even deal with our indictment. I just want to, I just want to be to answer for myself, you know, Yeah. because the stain is so big. The, the, the amount that my, you know, that his, my history has to answer for is such a, is such a grievous one. It makes you just not want to talk about it at all. And we can't do that either. Yeah. I, it's, I don't know. I, I just, I spent, I had a lot of flashbacks while I was writing the piece, and one of them was uh, that that period leading up to both the election and Thanksgiving of last year, where I felt like I was just beat over the head with people talking about how they, like, you know, those, you know, country family members that they just, like, didn't want to deal with like everyone like people were just always talking about those two Trump supporters that they had in their family and I remember just having conversations leading up to both the election and Thanksgiving being like hey well you know this election thing is happening and I know it's uncomfortable but you know like don't not go home because you don't want to hear or see or be confronted with these family members like these are people that I can't get to because I'm not related to them. <laughs> but like, how about you go try to 
sway the people in your family. And I just remember constantly the response being like, yeah, like I just, I just, uh, you know, and I think a lot of people didn't want to be confronted with that being in their front yard or backyard. And, you know, we ended up with a, a Trump mm-hmm. and I, there's no way to blame anyone individually about the election because it's just like I, I kind of hate when people is, are like that's not my president it's like yeah it's our he's our president yeah, yeah. Trump's our president like yeah he is uh but you know like that that was um that was something that kept popping up in my head thinking about this piece it was just the fear of confronting like reality and uh like this pushing away discomfort. That's something that I, I deal with in my personal life, in my real life, just like the way to deal with things that make you feel bad is to just like push them away and, you know, oh, like delete that email. I don't, I don't even want to see the email. I'm just going to delete it. You know, like I, I don't, I don't even want to have that hard conversation. I'm just going to ignore that person. You know, those are, those are very human things. So it makes sense why people do them, but we're at this crossroads right now where like we can't afford to to run away from the uncomfortable anymore and i think um that was something that was really important for me to pull out of this piece on Kaepernick because i think a lot of a lot of things surrounding him and a lot of things surrounding the way he's discussed is not hatred all the time or not it's just like this fear of um putting yourself in a position to be uncomfortable because when you begin to peel back those layers it's like it gets very it gets very vivid why so much of the shit we deal with right now like where it stems from it comes from like real dark stuff about our past that you know we'd rather just Hope it figured itself out, because that's easier. If you travel for business, you know it's a game of wins and losses. Having an open seat next to you on a flight, that's a win. The person in front of you reclining in the seat, that's a loss. See, you know what, Upside? I know we're going to get to this fact that this is Upside. They could put that in there all they want. People should recline if they want to. That's not a loss. That's breaking even. I'm not going to have this argument with anybody. I'm not going to give one inch on it. It's a good thing we're in different studios, because I will fight you. I will the notion that it is wrong to use the recline on the seat you purchased is such abject nonsense. It's it's liberal hogwash, and I cannot <laughs> stand it. This is why we don't win elections. We're soft. This is why We're Trump won, basically. And guilt-ridden, and we need to stop it. We're allowed to take up space in the world, liberals. It's allowed. You're a you're a you're a majestic human being, autonomous. Rejecting to reclining seats is the new snowflake. As I recall. Damn right it All is. All right. Well, you know, Upside is supposed to help you with stuff like this. <laughs> I'll get back to the Upside if you won't. Um, they have the absolute best prices available for flights, hotels, and rental cars. And I've actually used Upside. And I will say the experience is really cool. It packages things more like a travel agent would rather than trying to do it yourself on Expedia. Cool. And they actually refer to it as six-star service, which I'm going to admit I didn't know was a thing. So, <laughs> star. You yeah. know what? We'll talk to the upside people about this six-star right. thing. Uh, that's, like call... the, that's like the thing about like, well, what about seven stars? <laughs> now, and now they're screwed. 11 stars. It goes up to 11. Uh, they call their upside uh, customer service specialist navigators, which makes sense. Get it? Travel. 
Mm. Uh, recently, a navigator noted an upside user was booked in a middle seat on a three-hour-plus flight. So the navigator upgraded her site to an aisle seat with more legroom, which is, you have to admit, pretty great. That's cool. And that's just one example of how upside navigators go above and beyond for business travelers. Imagine what they'll do for you. Upside navigators are instantly accessible 24-7 by voice, chat, email, or message on the Upside app, even reaching out to you with useful info to help avoid a problem before it happens. Fantastic. Yeah, it is cool. And actually, they're now saying I I can start using their six-star treatment now. So I'm, I'm probably going to. I actually have some travel ahead of me, as you know. You do. For the Pod Save America tour. Uh, so go to Upside.com if you would like to get the same service and use my code FRIENDS and you will get a minimum $100 gift card to Amazon.com. That is code FRIENDS for a minimum $100 gift card to Amazon.com when you buy your next business trip at Upside.com. Upside.com. Use the code FRIENDS. Yep. You deserve a better business trip. And I guess you do deserve to recline. And love it. Uh-huh. If you're in the seat behind them, you're okay with that. Of course. Of right. course. It's, right. uh, do I love it? Obviously, it's like, it's, would it be better if I had one of these, uh, one of these uh, soft liberals in front of me who's decided it's immoral to do something that's obviously not? Obviously, it's more advantageous for me to have someone so silly in front of me who doesn't use the seat that they purchased. But when someone reclines, I never begrudge them, not even a tiny bit. It doesn't even occur to me to be mad at them. Donate the player. Hate the game. Nonsense. Promo code friends. I think listeners to this podcast may feel like I give them conflicting advice on how to deal with conservative family members because I often counsel like don't argue because I don't think that's actually a good idea. Like like coming in for a fight and debating is not going to change people's minds. But I also think that when someone says something bigoted, you can't just let it go. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. And that it's always good to be like armed with facts about those things and to try and figure out why someone says something like that. And I, I, you've made me think think of something actually from my own family that has to do with, that's kind of encapsulates this Kaepernick, you know, story as well, which is that uh, before the election sometime, um, I believe it was around Thanksgiving, I was visiting family and we don't agree about some stuff. And I got up earlier than everyone. And usually the television is turned to Fox news and I turned it to ESPN because <laughs> I was like, uh-huh. not going to start the day that way. Right. Like, we'll just like going to be some good football today. Like, we'll just do game day. It'll be great. You know, started making coffee. Um, one of my male relatives came in and uh, we pour each other. I poured us a cup of coffee, both turned to the TV. And guess what the story <laughs> was? <laughs> that's funny stick to sports stick to and, sports um, and uh i we both kind of just watch and like i'm i'm thinking to myself i'm not gonna say anything i'm not gonna i'm not i'm just not gonna say anything but this male relative like kind of rolls his eyes and sighs and he says you know showboater and i was like yes really <laughs> what really? a showboater yeah really and he said, yeah, you know, and this stuff about him not getting a job, you know, like that's not that's not the story. It's not because it's it's that's he's not it's he's a bad quarterback. And, you know, and this is an exact quote. And I'm it hurts my heart to say it. He said, it's not because of that. You know, these people don't want to work. Yes. That how did he how did he how did he know? How did he how did he figure it out? <laughs> And my heart, bro- my I'm heart, just shaking my, my heart breaks to, even to just tell you that because this is someone I care about. 
right? I know. It's fine. It's not fine, but it's, I mean, and it's. And so I said to him, yeah. what, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you talking about exactly? He was like, well, you know. And I said, no, you're really, you're going to have to spell it out for me. And he said, well, you know, they want to be on welfare. And I was like, you're not really. There it is. And he there said, it is. He said, I said, I was like, really? <laughs> he said, you know, when I was, when I was, I grew up poor and he did. He's like, I grew up poor. Yeah. When I wanted a job, you know, I went and showed that I wanted to work. And I, I was like, so we've, I just want to be clear what you're saying. And, and I, I, now I think I'm going to have to leave the room. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and he was like, well, it's true. And I said, I don't think it is, but I'm going to have, we're going to have to stop talking about this. Sometimes the silence, sometimes the just immediate walkout, it's like you need to just sit with yourself and these opinions alone because that's where you deserve to be right now. Like you, you need to, you need to sit and think about this. I, you know, I, but the way he went there, the way he went there so quickly, it was also, you know what, now that I remember it was after, it was after the election because I remember thinking as I left the room, he wouldn't have said this two months ago. Mm-hmm. That was actually, I remember it now, and I think I shared the story with other people thinking, this is what Trump has done to us. Is that two months ago, that opinion would have been considered not acceptable in polite company. Yeah. But now it is. It's so funny. I start off so calm every day. <laughs> and like, I, even like, even my tone right now, like I, like I, like I, I, I wrote a lot of this piece, not in New York. I like. I, I I went away for a little bit and like clear my head and needed to get out of New York and I would start off so calm writing about this and then like just I would see something in the news and I would read something and I would have a conversation and you know like there are lots of things that I wrote that I took out of this piece because I wrote it like I didn't I don't I don't write angry re- well but. I'm just like it there there are there are passages in that piece where I'm just like fed up and I know that there there are so many assumptions about uh minorities in the country that are just like that are it's it's so frustrating like I I genuinely think there's a there's a school of thought that truly believes that black people like like villainizing themselves and like, like we enjoy protesting we enjoy we enjoy we being mad troublemakers that's what you are and showboaters as the, yeah. as the term goes and it's like, like you're just like drawing attention to yourselves that's what you like right like it's not fun like, like <laughs> every black writer that i know is like messed up it's just like it's it's hard it's 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 hard to it's been hard to write the past couple of years and like I know a lot more of us are in therapy than we were than were a couple years ago. And like for like just to like keep our jobs. And I loved being like the the kid that wrote funny stuff at Grantland like every day. Like I love that. I would love to I would love to do that again. I just can't do it because I like the the stakes are too high and I look around and I have like a privileged platform there's not a lot of 30 year old black folk that have that can that can write 
like on that have this much of a platform. So it's like I have to like I don't even feel like I have a choice in the matter. Like mm-hmm. I I feel like I have to write this stuff, and I'm happy because I I it gives me something to strive towards and it, it motivates me. But it's also like I'm when that piece came out, I was just so tired because like it. I was I was happy that it was out, but that like writing that piece took a lot out of me, and it wasn't always it wasn't very fun to write, and it wasn't meant to be smiled at um, to read. And I think I, I I know there I feel like every time I write a piece like that, there's like five or six people that just aren't going to see me the same way, and. You know, that's a parallel that I could, a, a lot of people that I talked to, like like a John Legend when I interviewed him, um, like someone like thinking about Kaepernick, you know, it's like when you make these statements, when you write these pieces, when you say these things, like you are invite, you are basically doubling down on pushing people that once liked you for one reason away from you mm-hmm. because you're making them uncomfortable. And like... It's not fun to lose friends, you know? It's not fun to push people away from you. And, like, I think that's that notion the same way as, like, you people like making trouble and like stirring up the pot. It's like, nah, I would rather just, I would I would rather be carefree and all that stuff. But it's just, like, we don't, we don't have time to that for that right now. It's like the stakes are too high. So, yeah, it's a it's a wild world. <laughs> to be a writer right now. Well, I think <laughs> I have so many thoughts and response. Um, first of all, I think the the care and the um, anger and the passion that you're talking about, I mean, show up in this piece. So thank you for putting them there. Uh, they need to be there. And it's an invigorating read, a hard read at times, I think, for a white person, but it should be. And the other thing is, you are a really funny writer, too, and I miss that Grantland stuff. And I loved your Bar Rescue parody that about your desk. Uh, it's one of my favorite remember I got, pieces. I, think I, got, <laughs> I, got, I, I got kind of in, <laughs> the, my, my My last couple months at ESPN were pretty wild. I know. You were just doing I, whatever you wanted, kind of, I think. I but. was, like, <laughs> drinking hypnotic under my desk and... <laughs> I had a, I had a, I had a fish, and I got in trouble for having a fish. Like it was, <laughs> the last couple of months were just crazy. I remember I, reading I, that I, piece, thinking like, no one really assigned this. This was not assigned. Yeah. No, no, no. I was just like, um, hello, <laughs> Chris Connolly. Here's 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 my piece on having heartburn from drinking hypnotic at my desk. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Feel free to not run this. I don't care anymore. You are a really funny writer. Speaking and of I, I mean, ESPN. This is another example, though, that, um, you know, the, the work of eradicating white supremacy has often fallen on the shoulders of black people, which is not fair. You know, like you're the ones charged with holding yeah. up the mirror. And a lot of times white people don't even thank you, you know, like and, and think, but don't I, hold up I, that mirror. Stop that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Mir- mirrors are. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Mirrors. Mirrors, yeah, mirrors. Um, <laughs> Which actually brings mirrors, me to I'm just keep saying mirrors. Brings me to the thing that I, <laughs> yeah. I I emailed you this before we started talking this morning, which is uh, a survey came out 
the headline of which was like, you know, white people reject white supremacy, hold white supremacist views. <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, why didn't they release that last week? I could have put that in my piece for some some like it was just I was like, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it was I, in, mean, I saw it in the root. I don't they obviously didn't do this survey. Um, but it, it basically goes through like, yeah, if you ask people, do you like Nazis? Guess what? No, they're going to denounce Nazis. That is literally the easiest thing in the world to do that our president couldn't do it. Makes him <laughs> in is why he's such a fuck up and terrible. Whatever. We don't need to get to that. that. That's not hard saying I don't like white supremacy. I don't like Nazis. I don't like the KKK. Um, but then when you ask people like, do white people suffer more now? That's like one of the, one of the questions they were asked. And white people are like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's I don't know what I don't I don't know how to I don't know how to get past that. I mean, it's really I read I re, after reading your piece, I reread Ta-Nehisi Coates's piece, um, which I I encourage people to do. They're great read in concert because his so much of his piece is about like it is white people, even the good white people. Right. Good. He didn't say that. But like it's all of it was us. it was good. It was. It was good timing for those two pieces to happen back to back weeks. It was nice. It wasn't planned. Shout out to Mr. Coates. So we have to, you know, pay for the show. Material things will not fill the hole in your soul, but you should buy them from us anyway. And we'll be right back. Texture. 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 I actually use texture. Do you use texture? We use texture. I mean, we shouldn't. When we say actually like that, it makes it sound like maybe there's some ads that we read that we don't use the products. That is not. Well, I think everybody understands. That is not the case. But I use texture. uh, I use texture before uh, they started sponsoring the show. Wow, I didn't know that. Um, I am a magazine nerd. Um, As you will discover if you, you know, if you're listening to this episode, you know that because uh, Rembert Brown and I get into like some uh, some little bit of journalistic nitty gritty and talking about how the piece came together. Uh, Cool. And I love reading magazines in magazine form, but the next best thing is on your tablet, and that is what texture is for. They point out that it's a good way to sort of uh, balance out your social media um, intake because yeah, we're getting a lot. You, you use social media, you're just getting like bite-sized, you know, bits of True. news. True. Um, what you want is, you know, maybe longer form stuff from places like The New Yorker or The Atlantic, Vanity Fair. Great uh, publications, they, all. They also have all the sports magazines, which is well, I don't care great for that. me. I know you're not necessarily into this, but I'm a football fan. And I don't need to subscribe to those magazines anytime during the rest of the year, basically. I mean, there are reasons, but most of the time I just want them during the football season. So uh, that is why I love Texture, because for one price, nine ninety nine a month, you get access to over 200 magazines. 200 magazines. 200 magazines. And if you sign up right now at texture.com slash friends, you get a 14-day trial for free. That's two weeks, people. It is two weeks. And uh, there's no such thing as a slow news day anymore. So you're going to get your money's worth, which isn't your money. You're going to get $9.99 or more worth. I think they get it. I think they get it. a two-week period, but it'll be free. Yeah. Anyway, so texture. Texture. Texture.com slash friends. We were talking about the fortuitous nature of this piece and Tanisi Coates' piece coming out back to back, and also that um, survey about how white people don't like the term white supremacy, but enjoy the benefits of it nonetheless. Uh, a couple other things happened this week that make this piece especially compelling um, reading. Uh, Jamel Hill at ESPN. Uh, m- 
I suspect. My girl. Yes, she was uh, right. Hashtag Jamel was right. I love Jamel. That is my, that is, uh, like, I love her. She's, mm. she's awesome for many reasons. Um, I don't know what the overlap is with ESPN, you know, followers and um, with friends like these listeners. But the short version of this story is that she tweeted out some facts about Donald Trump, like, for instance, that he's a white supremacist. Uh, And she got reprimanded by ESPN, which is like gross, but kind of like here I'll be like, I sort of see that. Right. Like that is something that happens employers discipline their you know talent for sometimes bad reasons the thing that's really weird and kind of horrifying uh is that the white house came out and disciplined uh sarah huckabee sanders the woman who's always on the verge of calling your manager um basically did that with Jamil, right? I mean, like she said, she said from the podium of the White House that what Jamil did was a fireable offense. So there's been a lot of people, you know, tweeting on her behalf. Um, there was one person, a couple of female sports writers I noticed asking um, men at ESPN maybe to to stand up for her. I don't know if anything has happened in that regard. Uh, but what, yeah, it's like, he, she's your girl, but now you go. Yeah, I love Jamel. I know Jamel. We, uh, you know, the black folk at ESPN, you know, you get to know each other. Um, and uh, she's brilliant. And it's it's just, it's interesting, you know. I It's like one of those clear things that black people, especially uh, women of color, black women, you know, like are an easy target. Um, and like... Like there were there were magazine covers in the past month of Trump and uh, like in like clan hoods, you know, like that was like a New Yorker cover. Yeah. And have you and if you watched late night television lately, I mean, have you? Yeah. Like no one like the White House didn't call for Remnick to get fired. <laughs> um, you know, like I, I feel like this was this was like a very strategic, like pointed thing at Jamel because of because of who she is and how she looks and I think it's this is one of those moments where like without any any proof like I I was I was a little worried at first I was like oh man like just having worked at a place like ESPN I couldn't tell if people coming out to defend her was gonna get her fired or maybe be the reason to help her keep her job you know like uh because ESPN is very much like a place that, you know, is often optics first, everything else second. And uh, it was nice to see like someone like a Michael Wilbon, like a very prominent black man at ESPN come out to defend her. Mm. Um, Brian Curtis at The Ringer, my former coworker, wrote a piece um, on Jamel uh, and... You know, Bomani was quoted in it. Bomani mm-hmm. Jones, who works at ESPN, was quoted in it. And, you know, it's, it's one, it's good that there, there are black men coming to her support um, internally um, that, that have power and leverage. You know, it's, it also reminds me of um, some, some stuff with Kaepernick. It's like, like, where are all, 
the white folk at ESPN. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, it's a good thing when other black players come and kneel with Kaepernick. Like, that was a good thing. You know, where was everyone else? Um, I think, uh, you know, in my piece, the all the Baldwin quotes in, in my piece were from this one piece. Mm-hmm. Um, this Harper's piece, uh, Baldwin did a profile of uh, Martin Luther King in 1961. And I was kind of using that a lot in my piece as how to think about someone. And there's a quote in that piece where basically it was about how um, I'm blanking on the exact quote right now, but uh, it was, it was about how like the, the, the state of black America has been, has, is, has been benefited by well-meaning liberal white people like standing up and, you know, showing support. But when it like really comes down to those moments, like they're often absent from the bargaining table. Um, I believe the quote has something to do with like, we this, wouldn't get to the bargaining table without them, but when we get there, they're not there. Boom. There yeah. we go. Um, and this just is like watching how this situation played out. Like it just reminded me again. It's like my guy was writing this in 1961, you know, it's 2017, you know, we are in, much better position than we were in 1961, but there are still some common threads that are frustratingly still true. And um, it's, it it just bums me out um, the whole, the whole thing because I'm not even talking about, (laughs) I can't even believe you're using the the term bum out because like, that's I'm just it's, bummed. It's, like, <laughs> it, it feels like such a soft, soft thing. But like, I'm just I'm so I'm like too tired to be angry anymore. Or I'm just like, that's also the, that's the headline out. for black America. Right. I'm just tired. Yeah. Like I'm 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 hunched over right now talking to you. I'm just tired. You know, it's uh, because you wonder what morning you're going to wake up and um, everything is different. And, you know, that's never going to happen. Um, and so it's like, okay. Well, I want to actually get to the, to the well-meaning white people as one myself. Uh, Mm -hmm. you mentioned Chris Long in the piece. Uh, He's one of the few white players that's shown any measure of solidarity, um, with another kneeling player, uh, black, uh, Malcolm Jenkins. He put his arm around him. Uh, and I think I guess I have a two-level question because on the one hand, like you just said, like where are the white players even in this symbolic moment, right? Uh, so do you think that that is an important next step, number one? And then number two is, but also in the piece, you do point out that this, these are the symbolic moments and that white people, good, you know, well-meaning white people need to be present in a more substantive way as well. And I wonder what kind of... It shouldn't the burden should not be on you to give me instruction. I I want to tell you that right now. Like you were hunched over and tired, and I don't want to add to your burdens. But at the same yeah, time, no. <laughs> can you point? Can you can you point me in some directions? Or is, yeah, is it just my job um, to just keep moving on? But let's 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 do players no, I, and symbolic stuff first. Maybe maybe that's an easier answer. Yeah, it has almost become a part of the career 
of many people of color to do things that put their job on the line constantly in the name of just like wanting shit to be better. And like you make statements about like Jamel's not an idiot. Like she's she worked at ESPN a long time. Like, yeah. like you know what you're supposed to say and what you're not supposed to say. But like, like it doesn't, I, I guess like it's just become just the way things are that people of color like put their careers in question, you know, future money in question, opportunities in question to stand up for something. That's just something we do. And that's just something white people don't do. But they like y'all cheer us on. And it's like, I got your back. And I agree, but like, I'm, it's hard to tell anyone to, cause everyone has different lives. Everyone has different responsibilities. Everyone has different backgrounds. It's hard for me to ever tell someone that they need to put, start putting stuff on the line, like making decisions that they don't know where um, how how it plays out. It could play out in their favor. It could play out. It could it could just backfire, and you could crash and burn. But well, I don't. Know, I you know what I don't. That's know, what that, I mean. That, I think you're being really diplomatic, and I appreciate that. But on the other hand, like we are. I've said this on the show before. But like these are drastic we, times. We these like, are these, these are, are drastic the, these times, are, and drastic measures are called for. And if you think some kind of action. I've told the story before about my dad protesting with SNCC in Texas in 1963, right? Yeah. He he didn't think of it as extremist. Everyone else did. He thought of it as the right thing to do. I actually asked him about that recently because yeah. he was he got embarrassed that I told the story on the air because he <sighs> said to me, he was like, look, on, I didn't think it was that big a deal. <laughs> like, he was like, I didn't, you know, like I was just like this guy came to our young Democrats meeting. And he said, if we wanted to help, we could come show up at this place and there'd be signs. And I was like, well, how many of the other students showed up? And my dad's like, oh, well, it was me and like maybe three or four others. And I was like, does that, do you, dad, like, does it mean anything to you that out of a crowd of like 50 or 60, you know, college students, three or four of you actually showed up? And he was like, yeah, I wondered at the time why there weren't more of us, you know? <laughs> well. I'll tell you because it was considered extreme, right? Like, but it was, it's so easy. Don't wait for the clarity of history. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't wait for the clarity yeah. of history. Like things are pretty fucking clear now. They, they, they seem, they seem crystal clear to me. Uh, <laughs> one of the reasons that I, not to just keep coming back to Kaepernick, but I'll come back to no, Kaepernick. No, that's what the story's um, about. And that's what he's a lens that yeah. all of this works um, to view it through. Yeah. But one of, one of the reasons I'm, I am impressed with him is that, you know, like he, he has lived a very interesting, unique life for a black person and a black person that turns into a, like a, a black activist figure in the sense that it wasn't like, he wasn't like born into this rich history of black activism, the way lots of black people are where they're like you're right you're taught blackness and you're taught like about doing things that 
um, like the importance of making decisions to make the world better for black people, you know, like that's how I was raised. And that's a lot, a lot of black folk are raised. That's why a lot of, um, you, you get a lot of people like me who like feel this, this charge, this call to duty when it comes to tons of professions, you know, and, you know, for him to get there is for me a great sign that it is, um, that you can have this awakening mm-hmm. and that you can, you can later in life, you can realize that it's worth it to, you know, put it all on the line. And, you know, I think one of the, I think lots of people want to put it on the line, but they're just so deep in life of not doing it. It's a hard thing to jump into, you know, it's much less, it's, it's not, it, it was never very hard for me to do it. Cause I, Right. saw examples throughout my world and I feel like I've been doing it since I was in high school you know I've been I've I grew up around black folk and white folk and and I there were always moments where I had those crossroads and it's like do I say this or do I just like try to just blend in with the crowd you know and so it's very hard for me to I understand why the hesitation in doing anything like I, there should be hesitation in yeah in, hesitation in things. Sure, it, it means, it means it. you're weighing yeah. but you know at some point it's like like this moment of I just think it's clear that we're past the moment of assuming things are just gonna work out it's just not gonna happen and people of color like as we've been trying to do it on our own for a long time we just can't do it on our own you know mm-hmm. it's like we we can't uh we we it, it has to be a, a a a a team effort and the team has to grow and i think all of that starts with like I, I use this example of rehab, like going to rehab. Like I, I use that example in the piece because there's like this, like this, this thing of like, like you need to, one of the reasons people don't, aren't doing anything is because they don't want to admit that they have any, they're implicit at all. Or like they don't want to admit or like face the problem head on. Cause again, it's uncomfortable. And I think it's, you can't you can't truthfully expect people to like take that leap of faith until they've done like two steps before that which is just like internalize like do that really deep like soul crushing thing of being like this is like really messed up and it can't continue and i don't i think a lot of people want things to be better but like are ju- again are just like looking forward and like wanting things to be better without turning around and like looking at like the like the harsh stuff that happened in our past and like looking at how we got here and why that's so messed up if you really internalize all the stuff that's happened up until this point i think it's hard <laughs> for a well-meaning person not to be like fuck it like i will do anything to help save this country because mm-hmm. it's so bad 
there's so much bad stuff that's happened, you know? Um, but you gotta, you know, you, it, it's, it's gotta hit you. I don't think it's hit people hard enough. John? Yeah? You're unique. I know. You don't walk like everyone else. That's true. I don't like my walk. I, I, I've tried to work on it, but I just, it's fine. You don't talk like everyone else. That, that, I, that I don't mind. You don't sleep like everyone else. Now, you're going to have to confirm that for me. Is there a way that you sleep that's no. markedly different? Is it because no, it's a bit I mean, the bottom of the you. bed with of John, you know? <laughs> or <laughs> I'll tell you, I sleep, I sleep on I'm a stomach sleeper, which is not ideal. And and lately Pundit the dog has been kind of so I I'm sleeping on the left side of the bed and Pundit is by my feet, kind of right on top of my feet. And basically as the night progresses, she comes closer and I try to move away from the dog until I'm sort of on the very, very edge of the bed. And then at some point I wake up frustrated and just move to the middle of the bed. And then she, she slowly comes back, sort of like a tide. And uh, it's annoying because it's so, it's just like, I can't, I should probably just sort of shove her with my foot in the night, but I can't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I don't know. I, now, don't know. I wonder if this is one of the questions that you answer at helixsleep.com because that's how they do do customized well, you mattresses. Know, you, you can customize your mattress for, for, for two members of the couple, but I don't believe <laughs> Pundit could fill out the form on the kind of firmness <laughs> that she's looking for on her side of the bed. And well, this is officially somehow impossibly the most embarrassing ad I've done. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you can solve a lot of problems with a Helix mattress. I guess that's not one of them. Um, but there are other problems you can solve. And it, they do do this couple survey. Um, they run a 3D biomechanical model of your body through the proprietary algorithms they developed with the help of the world's leading ergonomic and biomechanics experts. Unfortunately, not the pet experts. Perhaps do you that think the that the, le phase. the world's leading ergonomic expert is like kind of has a great back? Or is like kind of cursed sort of, you know, <laughs> I can, I can't, you know, physician heal thyself kind of a deal. Yeah. What mattresses do they sleep on? I, I bet it's a Helix. Uh, it is the Probably most comfortable Helix. mattress you've ever slept on. Uh, for what it's worth, Helix customers report a 30% improvement in overall sleep quality. And for couples, like I said, they do customize each side of the mattress. Mm -hmm. Your mattress arrives at your door in about a week. Shipping is completely free. Shipping is, is free. 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 That is why everyone from GQ Magazine to Forbes are talking about Helix Sleep. You have a hundred nights to try it out. Hundred nights. Hundred nights. That's a long time. And if you don't love it, they will pick it up for free and give you a full refund. No questions asked. How do you get this wonderful deal? Uh, you go to helixsleep.com slash Anna. Not friends, Anna. Helixsleep.com slash Anna. Which you spell A-N-A. 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 Like the Japanese airline. <laughs> yes, that is correct. And you get $50 off your order in addition to the other lovely things that come with a Helix mattress just regularly. Uh, that's helixsleep.com slash Anna. Helixsleep.com slash Anna. Take a nap on a Helix, you know? Live your life. You know, it's funny. Um, listeners to the show will know this. I don't know if you do, but like, so I've been to rehab. You know, I'm an addict and alcoholic. <clears throat> And there is a lot that I've drawn from that experience in the way that I'm trying to work through being a white American today. And I think, you know, you, you, you touch on just the part about realizing you can't live this way anymore. And that's obviously, that is the important part, right? That's bottoming out. That's admitting defeat. Um, 
and in re, in reckoning with the surrender. You have yeah, to surrender. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. surrender. Admitting like I was it, talking, yeah. I did a podcast the other day. Uh, this says who podcast and she, um, Maureen Johnson was like, I think she also made this metaphor, but she was liking step one is admitting you have a problem. And I was like, well, I hate to get all like AA splainy on you, <laughs> but actually step yeah. one isn't admitting you have a problem. Step one is admitting that you can't solve it by, by yourself. Step one is surrender. Yeah. That's um, the surrender. Yeah. Yeah. And, the other thing, one of the other things I think that's been valuable to me in looking at my, you know, spiritual growth and my growth as a a person in this world that wants good things for other people is the concept, like, people think that in AA, like, you apologize for what you did wrong in the past, you know, like, you go on this apology yeah. tour, and that's also not how it works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You don't yeah. apologize. In fact, like what you do, it's, it, there's a difference between apologizing and making amends. You make amends and you're encouraged mm-hmm. to not use the words, I'm sorry. Because if you're an addict or alcoholic, you've probably already said, I'm sorry, a whole fucking lot. And it's meant exactly zero, you know? Yeah. And that's a, there's a parallel though for whiteness, right? Like white people are always saying, I'm sorry. What you say when you're doing this is you say, what can I do to make it better? What can I do to restore you to wholeness? I have wronged you Ah. in the past. This is how I've wronged you. And you're supposed to like be really explicit about your understanding of what happened. And you first ask, is that, is that, is my understanding of how I wronged you correct? You know, does it align with your understanding of how I wronged you? That's an important step too, right? Yeah. And then the next thing you ask is, how do I make you whole? And that's the approach that white people need to make in this country. Not I'm sorry. Yeah. And that parallel makes perfect sense because the thing that that can't continue is like that what goes right with the the over-apologizing is saying I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's just like trying to rush to the finish line. Mm Mm-hmm. That's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, like, this is bad, like, but it's it's really like, I don't want you to be mad at me. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. it's, but it's like, no, I'm not worried about, like, don't stop thinking about how I feel about you. Like, let's figure out how to actually do this right this time, you know, let's, I don't want America to relapse, you know. <laughs> well, and also there's an important, there's an important intermediary step here, which is maybe a good place for us to kind of try to draw to an end, which is that you go on that, you know, setting, you know, the making amends tour, you you start to try and make yeah. amends. That's after you've surrendered. Um, but before you make amends, you come to a place where you believe that you can change and that you have some spiritual foundation that helps you uh-huh. that helps to steady you. When you face people saying, because this didn't happen, I don't forgive you and you can't do anything to make it better. Yeah. And as a sober person, you have to just be like, you know what? That, okay. Okay. You're right. I can't do anything to make it better. And then you move on to the next. As mad as I was when I wrote this piece, I also was, you know, felt very, um, very like uh, measured um, like I wasn't mad at, I wasn't mad at white people. I wasn't mad at any sp- specific group of 
uh, people. I was just, I, you know, again, I think it was, it was less mad. It was just more, uh, fatigued. Um, but one of the realities that people need to understand is like, it's getting over this. I mean, to call it a hump is like a massive understatement, but to to actually make any progress is like it's supposed to be hard it's supposed to take work you know like it's not supposed to be like there's not a quick fix that is gonna that is gonna you know begin to rehabilitate this country and i think coming like just accepting the fact surrendering over to the fact that this process is going to take lots of work from everyone, not just like we're all going to sit around here while white people figure it out. It's like, no, it's going to take work from everyone mm-hmm. um, to move, finally move in like a sustainably progressive direction. Uh, and that, you know, I think it takes work to stop blaming yourself for things. I think it takes work to not feel shame and guilt about all this stuff. Like that's just not something that um it's going to happen over like one or two real good conversations with someone or like one or two big epiphanies or one or two this or that. Like this is just a it's just a process, but I think it's until lots and lots of people begin that process, it's hard to it's hard to be super optimistic about um, change happening because, you know, hard work is hard work. And I think I'm, it's very kind of a white person of me to want to keep pressing you about, but what can I do? But what can we do? What can we do? Because I think that maybe in much the same way, like you, the steps are in order for a reason in AA, like we're still really in step one here, you know, and and it's very addicty of me to want to get to the part where I make things better. Right. Yeah. But I think so many of us are still in the surrender phase. Like it's not fair to even ask, like, what can we do to make it better yet? Well, I would say the first place to start is like, is to resist the impulse to ask people, what can I do? (laughs) Yeah. What can I do? And who, and who should I talk to? That's like, that's the, that's the worst one. Like, who should I, who should I talk to? You know, it's like, no, like you can't just send everyone to, to me or DeRay or, you know, like, like, you, like you're, you're that one black person. I've heard that sentiment almost as much as what should I do? It's mm-hmm. like, I just want to talk to like, what book should I read? You know, like what, like my answer to like, what book should I read? is like, <laughs> just start reading books, you know, just like read, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I can't, like, like it's, I would say if I could be, if I could be so bold, like I said, I, what I would also say, I'm being very bold in general, I guess you don't need to ask people who to listen to or what to read. Um, people are already writing and talking and you just have to listen if you're a white person, you know, like th- that's not mm-hmm. very fucking hard, you know, like you can Google it as far as like, if you want to get caught up on how oppression works in this country. Like, it's not a mystery. It's right there in your face every day. And in fact, that is the thing that I think a lot of white people and I myself have a problem with is the way that one's day-to-day privilege shows up. Seeing that, not reading a book. Reading a book is easy, you know? Yeah, but it's also like, because I've done this in aspects of my life too. Yeah, go read a book, but also like, 
you don't have to announce it to me that you're reading a book. Like I, I, I know like there have been moments when, um, moments when I've, uh, I've been trying to like turn my life around and started exercising, for example. And like, I would, I would tell people like every day, it's like, you know, I exercise, I exercise. And it's like, I want you to think that I'm changing, but I'm not comfortable yet to just do it on my own. And I think without needing anyone else's validation, because that is, that is, we're still at a point where we want people to know that we are quote unquote, uh, changing. And that's another real addicty thing to do, by the way. Like that's a whole. Yeah, other... that's all. That's all well and good, but like, can you go on those runs just for your own health? Can you do that? And like, like, can you just go read some books and really feel them and not need to like broadcast that? Like, I don't. I think we're not there yet, and I I hope people begin to get there because you know that is it's uncomfortable to to work on yourself um mm-hmm. al- like alone uh that's a it's a lot of time in your own head and i've been there and uh i i've never really seen any noticeable change in myself until i um I started doing things, started like developing routines that weren't purely to get validation from someone else that I was trying to prove uh, a new me was happening. If that I makes any sense. have, again, like I, I know exactly what that's like, I think. And what I would offer is that it doesn't have to exactly be alone. It's just you have to sort of think differently about what it means to be connected to other people. You have to let that connection be an idea mm-hmm. and not necessarily getting validation from like you have to, you can feel connected to other people and know you are doing this for, yeah. for, for good and noble reasons and not say it to everyone. <laughs> yeah. But your connect, your connection to other people will be strengthened by the things that you are doing, not by broadcasting your goodness, you know? Yes. Yeah. I agree with that. And I think, that jump into the uncomfortable and the unknown, however that manifests itself, is like that's the only first like that's the only answer I have to what I should do to someone right now. It's like uh, a, a a real self discovery of the things that make you uncomfortable, and just beginning to run full speed ahead into some of that stuff, like not knowing how it's going to work out, but you know. I've done that my whole life. And typically the response, like the, what happens on the other side is typically it wasn't that bad. You know, I, you know, there's all these horror, like I, I'm, I'm someone that has lots of anxiety about what's on the other side. If I don't have complete control over the situation, or if I think that, um, someone's going to be upset or all, all of those things. And typically when it's like, you know what, this makes me uncomfortable, but I'm never going to get better unless I just go for it. Like not 99 out of a hundred times. It's like, that was not as bad as I thought. And that analogy is 
I think, very true when it comes to uh, cultural and societal things in this country between people that just like don't that type of person that you just like don't have a lot of life experience about or like that concept that you've never really thought about like when you really kind of face it it's like you know what that wasn't that wasn't that bad like running into like the the fire of discomfort like maybe i'll maybe i'll try it again next week you know maybe that'll be our note to end on um (laughs) <laughs> Remember, I really, really appreciated you coming on the show. Uh, I know you are tired. Um, and <laughs> that is because you did some really fucking good work. And thank you. I thank appreciate you. it. Thank you for that work. And that is it for the show this week. You can follow Rembert on Twitter at Rembert, which is basically exactly how it sounds, R-E-M-B-E-R-T. You can follow me on Twitter at Anna Marie Cox. You can follow the show on Twitter at Crooked underscore Friends. And if you have a question about relationships and politics or politics and relationships or about messy coalitions, please feel free to email the show at withfriendslikepod.com. At Gmail. If you want to include an audio version of your question, that is much appreciated, but you don't need to if you can't or if you know don't know how. We do wind up using audio a lot on the show and we can coach you through it if we select your letter. Please let us know in the letter if you are okay with using your name. However, there are still tickets available for the Pod Save America tour show in Ann Arbor, which happens to be the show that I am at. Don't hurt my feelings by making this the one show that didn't sola out. And You know, I hope that this episode gave you as much to think about as it did for me. And I hope that you can use some of the things that Rembert was talking about. Take a look at yourself. Don't be afraid to be uncomfortable. See you next week. Sherwin-Williams during the March Spring Sale, March 15th through the 25th, and get 35% off paints and stains with prices starting at $28.92. That means 35% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, get 35% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. Why pick one city, one beach, one restaurant, or even one view? With Celebrity Cruises, you can have it all. Explore the best of Europe, the Caribbean, and Alaska with the best premium cruise line. And now get 75% off your second guest, plus bonus savings on select dates with Celebrity Cruises' semi-annual sale. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Offer applies to non-refundable fares and select sailing. Savings vary by stateroom category. Other terms apply. Visit Celebrity.com for details. Ships Registry Malta.